0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Football season is wrapping up, but the news continues to pour in. Welcome into the Spot Track Podcast. Brandon Kravitz here, along with the money man himself, Mike Gennetti. Mike, as much as we love football season, and we do, and I, I feel like even though we still have one game left, it feels like the season is over <laughs> to me, but th- this is where business really starts to pick up for you.
1: Yeah, no question. It's, uh, you're right. We got about four hours of football left is all and uh, plenty of hoopla and run up to it. But it does feel like we're already in off season mode. And unfortunately for somebody in my industry, I have to start doing that in about December, December 1st. So um, much of our work is done. It's really just about now uh, figuring out where the tea leaves are going to fall and who's going to end up where and on one price tag. So it's uh, certainly one of our busier seasons, but there's plenty to get to for sure. So let's
0: um let's stay on the coaching carousel for a moment. We've had a lot of NFL coaching talk on this podcast mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks, and we still have one job that remains out there. Seattle found their guy, Mike McDonald, from the Baltimore Ravens. And there seems to be a trend that I've noticed uh, in terms of these new coaching hires. Mike McDonald, the youngest of all of them, 36 years old. Raheem Morris, 47, which... I guess it depends on what walk of life you're in as to whether or not that's old or young, but in the coaching, the coaching world, that's, a, that's a young individual. Yeah. Uh, Dave Canales, 42, Gerard Mayo with the uh, the Patriots, 37, Antonio Pierce, 45, Brian Call- uh, Callahan, now the head coach at Tennessee is 39. Has this become a young man's league? And is there a financial reason for that?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a nice question. I wish I wish I had a big list of of coaching salaries to go along with that. But as I've said, it's that's a, that's a difficult ask here. Although I, I think we did mention last week with Harbaugh. I, did you see Mike Florio's report that it sounds like five for eighty sixteen million a year? So yeah. my goodness,
0: that was more um, than we
1: had anticipated. Oof, yeah, I thought twelve thirteen would have gotten it done, but I guess sixteen certainly. Uh, Makes you makes you put the Michigan stuff away pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Look. To the Spanos family, I mean, they have really, really
1: changed yeah. their uh, their tune over the, over. The, they've really opened up the wallet over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, certainly, there's a youth movement. Whether or not that translates to, you know, value, right? Not the non-Harbaugh salary. You know, is Gerard Mayo making four million a year? I don't know, right? I, I, I assume it's possible that a lot of this could be cost cutting. Uh, Certainly if it's your first gig and you got to tread water and maybe, maybe a lot of it's bonus based and playoff based, but I don't know, man, there's only 32 of these jobs, right? And there's a billion coaching opportunities these guys can take now because I feel like that's a, that's a a dying market, right? As a top head coaching gig in college football right now versus what the NFL has the offer. So I, I, I would imagine these are still very well paid coaches, even if they're mid 30s, even if it's their first gig. Because I, my guess is, Brandon, that Mike McDonald had two, three offers. Don't you agree? Raheem Morris took five interviews, you know? So maybe somebody like Dave Canellis went on the cheap, which is hysterical for, you know, Dave Teber and his whole situation in Carolina. But I, I would imagine that most of these guys are doing fairly well. And it's simply just, we want to get fresh eyes on this going younger maybe offers the opportunity for a more long-term situation, which you and I have joked about before is ridiculous because these guys are on one-year contracts. You know how this works. I do
0: think that that's part of the mentality and that's why I I don't know if money has anything to do with it. It could because usually, and you could use this in any business, younger employees are cheaper than older ones um, because the standard is different. Um, I I definitely think there is this thought process from, Owners, which you and I agree is preposterous. That <laughs> oh, we're going to keep this guy for ten years. He'll be our Mike Tomlin. That is not the norm. Uh, but you know, and it, it, it comes to Mike McDonald is a good example. How many different? How many offers could he have had? There's only two openings. Yeah, so, unless yeah. he was bidding. They were bidding against the Commanders.
1: Yeah, but I, I think what's interesting as well is the variation between defense and offense. Right? There was this big narrative coming into this off season, or, or you know, or you know, other teams' off seasons that offense was going to drive the day that it was yeah. about aligning somebody with a quarterback and that's the only way to possibly win in this league and we've seen a little bit of everything you know for every Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay there are versions of defensive coaches who come in are able to collectively run the defense and manage the team from the from the top down and it's about finding that voice I, where are you with this i for i, I really believe that Having a head coach that stays out of the offense can be beneficial. That that there is one person's job to sit in the booth and run the offense and manage the quarterback and manage how everything works, and don't give that person any of the responsibility. Right? If the offense is this important, why are we giving the offense to somebody who has to do all these other things? Right? So yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's a, it's a losing battle to try to argue this one way or the other. But I'm glad we have a variety, even if it's. You know, young guys, defensive minds coming in and saying we're going to we're going to change the culture of a certain roster. I think you have to have a head coach that
0: appreciates um, uh, an, an open mind when it comes to offense and opening things up and and not being overly rigid in the way that you manage a game. But no, I'm, I've i soapboxed on this on on my show in Orlando a number of times. It frustrates me to no end that we have this conversation like the only way you can succeed yeah. in today's NFL is by hiring an offensive coach. It's ridiculous. Yeah. The head coaching position isn't about calling plays and molding a quarterback. You've got coaches that you have to coach. You you have to do a good job at hiring those coaches. That You have to let them do their job. You also have a whole other side of the ball that you have to worry about. And oh, by the way, special teams as well and your media responsibilities. There's so much that goes into being a head coach. It's a CEO role. If I hire someone and all they're good at is making sure my quarterback is playing well, (laughs) that's nice. That can only take you so far. So I love the fact that we're seeing defensive guys still get opportunities because it's not really about what side of what side of the ball you specialize in. You've got to be good at both. How how are you going to be successful if you only understand one side of the ball, even if it is the more important side in today's NFL? It's
1: exactly why Josh McDaniels didn't succeed. At, at any yes. point in time as a head coach he Good is an offensive a,
0: coordinator yeah. does not
1: understand how to manage people he's a one-trick pony yep absolutely and and that's what you need to be looking for here so i, I get it I, I really do get it now you know half of these are going to be gone in three years let's be frank about this right every what is it every off season, there's eight openings now that's just how this world works but uh I, I see i seem to like where everything kind of fell into place and i certainly like antonio pierce going back to that raiders group that seemed to rally around him because that's exactly what we're saying here right these are he's a man of the people and, and those people appeared to rally around him. So why not give him w- at least one more year, which is really all that's been guaranteed here. Absolutely.
0: I mean, and I think a good example of the type of coach that we're talking about, uh, and he is somebody that played on the offensive side during his playing days, but we don't look at Dan Campbell as this offensive mastermind. Uh, he's a motivator. He's mm-hmm. a, he is the he's a kind of coach that's just going to get the most out of everybody on the roster. And there's a, There's definitely a place for that, that there's a special quality to have. He turns the offense over to a guy by the name of Ben Johnson. So Dan Campbell did a good job of playing that CEO role by allowing his offensive coordinator to do what he does best. A Ben Johnson probably could have had his pick of the litter because he was the hot coaching candidate that we figured would be out there. He's choosing to go back to Detroit. Do you think that's the right
1: decision? I wonder, yes, I do. I wonder if this conversation we're having right now isn't exactly why Ben Johnson isn't back with Detroit. A, I, I think a lot of it is he really got a taste, right, with that with that Lions group and he wants to see if he can get it to the finish line. I think they're close. They know he's close. Uh he made maybe a couple of missed calls there that 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 are, you know, the reason they're home right now, and that's unfortunate. Do you think he walked into that Washington commander's front office? and realize just what kind of undertaking it's going to be from a culture standpoint, from bringing in the new quarterback, from starting from ground zero to where they have to be, right? He just went through a couple of years in Detroit where I'm not sure he had to do much with Jared Goff. You know what I mean? And I know he didn't have to do much with the culture because that's exactly what Dan Campbell has been doing. He has been not only from a fan base, from a media standpoint, certainly what's happening in that locker room is because of Dan Campbell and the voice that he has. I have to wonder if Ben Johnson walked into Washington and said, holy cow, this is going to take me years right, to get this all figured out and said, why would I leave? Right? I'll just get a a little bit of a pay raise back in Detroit and stay for at least one more year because I think I can win a Super Bowl with that team and and my name will be just as hot coming back here in in 12 calendar months. So I, I have to think that's why Washington is last. There's so much baggage. I realize it's a new owner. I realize there's a lot has changed. But that just means more work to get it off the ground, too. And I I don't think Ben Johnson wanted any part of that when he could have just walked back into a situation, not have to move his family and, and be happy for at least one more year making good money in Detroit. Yeah,
0: there's no there's nothing wrong with making a decision like that. And I think more yeah. of us should probably uh, tend to right. lean in that direction. If you're in a good spot and if yeah. your family's happy and you make good money, just kind of. Be settled. We know we're always trying to find the next thing. And so if that's the mentality for Ben Johnson, good for him for having that level of clarity. But I am a little surprised that, they, that he or other coaches that would be considered hot candidates don't look at that Washington job as this tremendous opportunity because you would get all the credit in the world and you've got a new top level prospect quarterback to work with. So uh, maybe, um, maybe an uphill battle, but we're talking about coaches that have egos and you get to attach your name to that sort of project with that kind of upside. I- I'm surprised that we don't have a line out the door of, of, uh, of guys that we highly respect that are trying to get that job. And maybe, maybe there is, we just don't know it.
1: Um, speaking of which, and, and I want to make sure I get this in there. Kudos to Houston who have done this on every level, right? They have brought back every coach they have given, given every single coach a pay raise. They are, they want continuity. They want people to be happy where they are. They don't want people interviewing every single off season. If they can, if they can you know, avoid it by any regard. So, uh, all in on Houston right now and, and everything they're doing. And I, I am thrilled for the off season they may have with their cap space, with their draft capital, and with this CJ Stroud situation, so they have they have figured something out there. Clearly, there's a there's a huge, big energy situation happening for for you know coaches like Slowick and certainly D'Amico Ryan's. I, I can't even imagine the names that want to attach themselves to that roster right now. And I think it could be a really big situation this offseason.
0: They have a ton of cap space to work with yeah. as well, right? Yeah, yeah they're so one of the big teams. They watch. got
1: everything going for them. Literally everything going for them right now.
0: See, and that's the reason why I would look at that Washington job through those eyes. I would use Houston as my template. All right. I mean, wouldn't they be in a similar situation where you can add? I mean, it's almost identical. Can we throw- view them as a complete disaster. <laughs> yet they have the number number two pick in the draft with a really good quarterback coming out.
1: Can I throw a little bit of uh, the hot stove rumor mill on this? I read an article yesterday from a very respected source. I'm not going to put it out there because I really don't want to put too much claim to this, but. There's some rumblings already. I'm, I wonder if you found this too, that that the Bears might go Jaden Daniels and that means Caleb Williams falls to number two. And I, I don't know that a lot of people are thrilled with the, the personality that Caleb Williams and maybe his entourage are going to bring to a new roster right now. So there's that. There's that happening right now. So yeah, it's coming. Yeah,
0: I've been I have been on. I've been trying to. Mm -hmm. sing that song for the last couple of months i have a lot of concerns i would still take a shot of course it's easy for me to say i don't run an nfl franchise i just get to sit here in my uh in my Mm -hmm. backroom studio and chat with you about this stuff (laughs) but caleb williams i think there are red flags everywhere i i I, uh, don't think that he uh curried a lot of favor with the guys that were on that roster at usc the fact that they weren't able to succeed really to any level with a talent like that at quarterback and you talk about a, a quarterback-driven sport. My goodness, college football might even be more so than the NFL. And uh, I, I just mm-hmm. from what, everything we saw, a lot of red flags, avoiding the media already. And um, mm-hmm. it just seems like he, he already thinks quite highly of himself. Yeah. I don't know about that ownership stuff. Like I wanted to throw that in there with my, my little rant. But I'm not sure I actually believe that story that um that he ever really put it out there about owning an NFL franchise <laughs> yeah. that drafted him. So I'm yeah, not well, gonna I'm not gonna use that one against out, him. But I there. mean
1: outside of the fact that it's CBA illegal, you know, other than that, perfectly great story, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it made for a good headline. What about the one out there that um the Denver Broncos could be looking to move up to draft him. I'm thinking, how is this even a story? What do they have left to give up? How could they possibly move up in the draft? I,
1: they're trying to trade all their wide receivers. They're going to move on from Russell Wilson. Don't forget about that, by the way. That's still coming here at some point in time. And you know, the conversation about whether he's tradable and uh, all that—that's that's going to be in our lives. You know, if you thought Lamar Jackson was a story last offseason, my goodness. Wait till Russell Wilson Jr., the third is uh, post June 1st designated on March 13th. And we have to deal with that entire cap situation. And maybe Cortland Sutton is traded. And who knows what else Sean Payton's going to do? Because I feel like he wants to take an axe hammer to that roster right now, which couldn't be more fun for somebody in my business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That'll, they might be, would you say they're the most interesting follow mm. this offseason for you?
1: Because of the volatility, yes. But, you know, if I'm steering positive, somebody like Houston, somebody like Indianapolis who has all this going for them right now, I guess you can throw Tennessee in that conversation to some degree. And, and Detroit, right? Detroit, Detroit's an NFC championship team with $61 million of cap space, a quarterback that's going to get extended, a left tackle that's going to get extended, a wide receiver that should get extended. That's fine. So if I'm steering positive, I'm following the Lions for the next couple of months, uh, first and foremost.
0: I, uh, I did a radio hit last night. And they asked me about the Miami Dolphins cap situation. I'm like, man, where's Mike <laughs> Gennetti when I need him? Yeah, let's I light this thing on fire, this. baby.
1: Minus 50. Let's go.
0: <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I know they're not working with a lot. What about, what about someone like that? It just popped into my mind because I was asked about it and stammered my way through an answer that I didn't really know how to accurately detail. But I know their cap situation isn't friendly. So they, would they be on the opposite end of the spectrum where interesting to follow because you have no idea what they can actually pull off with the
1: money they don't have? I mean, it looks bad, you know, and it is bad right now. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. The, the conversation there isn't how they're going to get cap compliant. It's what are they going to do with Tua and and, and Jalen Waddle, right? Because those are yep. polarizing situations that are looking going to make things worse over the next four years if you lock in and Tua doesn't work out because there's really no starting over as you're finding out in, with the Chargers, right? The, the Chargers locked in Herbert and now maybe everything else around it's going to crumble and now their coach costs more than half their defense. So I, I don't know what you do with that situation when you're, you're locking yourself into something that may never work, which is just a bad place to be. That's essentially what the Portland Trailblazers were in the NBA for a decade. They had two players. They were overtaxed constantly. They were pay- bleeding tax bills, and they barely made the postseason. So that's, that's what some teams get themselves into because of really high, high-priced high situations. And I feel like Miami could be trending there, but I really like the coach. and I really like how the offense looks. So I feel like it's not that, quite that situation. All
0: right. Well, you brought up the NBA. Let's use that as a transition over to uh, what we have seen as it pertains to Joel Embiid and Tyrese Halliburton and the new rule via the CBA where you have to play at least 65 games to be eligible for things like the MVP award and all NBA status. Both of these guys are in danger of not meeting this threshold, and I think it's highly unlikely that they do. Do you think the league is regretting this at all? Embiid has missed 12 games. Halliburton has missed 13. In fact, it's already announced that Embiid's going to miss tonight. So both have essentially missed 13 games and have four games left. That's it. And then they won't be eligible for these things. Do you think the NBA is regretting it at all, given that it's year one and we're already
1: having this conversation? Zero (laughs) percent. Zero percent. Right um, and and the, the fact that I brought this up yesterday on socials has nothing to do with the rule being in place. The fact that the NBA is trying to, to manage load management, right? To me, that's working. To, and by the way, the Clippers are great, right? So what, what are we doing here, right? I mean, the, to me, everything that the NBA was trying to accomplish with this rule has been successful. The two scenarios here, Embiid and Halliburton, are actual injuries. So whether the rule existed or not, these players were going to miss games. Now Tyrese Halliburton playing twenty minutes and then sitting on the bench when the Knicks, you know, you know, were essentially that—that's a bad look for the NBA because Halliburton is is forcefully trying to get that get, make that game count, and he might do this a bunch more times. Literally play twenty minutes exactly and then sit on the bench. That's the threshold for a game to count against this rule. the The reason I brought it up is Halliburton is in a designated extension situation right now. He agreed to the five-year extension this this past summer. And based on what the cap is and based on what his all-NBA status is after 2023, he can make another $40 million on that extension if he's an all-NBA candidate. So the fact that these two rules exist together sucks. It really does. The fact that all-NBA is tied to this extension sucks. That rule has to get changed. If you're going to do this... You gotta get gotta get rid of that rule, right? It can't exist that Tyrese Halliburton can lose out on forty million dollars because sixty-five games is required for All NBA. Those those things all together stink. Now, will Halliburton be an All NBA player if he misses all these games because of a hamstring? Probably not. So it's a moot argument from my standpoint, right? But the, but the fact that the, this really exists and that this can happen to a player, it stinks. It really does.
0: It it does, uh, but I kind of go back to the way you started the answer. The fact that this is putting pressure on players to play is a positive. Yeah. Isn't exactly. that what you want? You don't want guys to get hurt. I don't want to sound cruel, but mm-hmm. the goal was when you're wavering on whether or not you can play and you are able to play, play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and the fact that the NBA had to put in a rule for that is ridiculous. I did go back and do some digging. Would you like to guess How many NBA MVPs have ever won the award playing less than 65 games, excluding strikes shortened or COVID shortened seasons? How many NBA? I'm going to say it has happened. I'm going
1: to say there's been like a like a Durant or a a LeBron at like a 61 or two. So I'll say two. Is it two? Zero times. Is it really? It's never happened. Yeah, it's never happened. (laughs) Well, look, they didn't just pull this number out of thin air. That's for sure. Well, was the
0: point. And that was that's the ironic part about this is the NBA. You know, this is a player's league. They're like, yeah, let's let's put in a rule. We'll never have to worry about it. And then, boom, year one, they have to worry about it. So this rule was put in for a very specific, that yeah, but number they don't, was put in,
1: they, but they don't have to worry about it. And beads not missing games because of, you know, load management. He's not. And I realized the Denver stuff was looked bad. Clearly he's been injured, right? Clearly there's something going on there. And it was exacerbated when he got landed on by a giant human being. So I, I don't think this is happening right now. So I think the rule has absolutely worked immediately. I, you know, Kawhi's playing more than he's ever played. He looks outstanding. He's going to have his nights off. He, and he deserves that, by the way. 82 games is, is crazy long for a full season. So it's working. It should be here. The Halliburton situation stinks. And, and that's, that's a separate conversation for a separate rule that I think we can, we can have another discussion about. But uh, it's working. It should be here. 65 games makes sense to me. Uh, I'm with you 100% on this.
0: Let's talk some baseball for a moment. We had a big-time sale. My baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles. That's right. I forgot uh, that. Got out from under the thumb of the Angelos family. The sales are reportedly valued at $1.725 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, two-part question here. How much should Orioles fans rejoice here with new, uh, new ownership, and where does this land among recent sales for Major League Baseball and, and other sports franchises?
1: Uh, incredible news for Orioles fans, because this is a team that has to start spending a boatload of money. They just have to, and they haven't done it this off season. You know, they've kind of nickel and dime themselves a little bit this time around as well, but you know there's, there's still time. There's, <laughs> there's still plenty of good free agents. So, you know, if you want to tell me that Jordan Montgomery is now a Baltimore Oriole because of this move, I'm in on that for sure. Uh, we'll see though. This is uh, the ownership from what I've read could be aggressive. I don't think it's going to be a Steve Cohen situation, which may also be good news for Orioles fans. But I think I that think is it, a good, yeah, it might be the that's extreme. That's not, yeah. Yeah. but we'll it not sounds like that. it'll be a little bit more aggressive, which is a positive because you have youngsters that should be paid at this point in time. Where does it land? It's more than the Marlins went for. It's more than the Royals went for. It's not as quite as what the Dodgers and the Mets have went for. And we're talking, you know, 12, 12 years ago on that Dodgers sale. So it's 10 times what the Angelos family paid for it. Forever ago, I don't know what else you want here. Uh, the bigger question, and I wonder if you've discussed this in your other channels: Why are so many teams getting sold? Right? I mean, I mean, this one I understand. Uh, the family didn't want to be doing this. The, the original owner is is extremely sick, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is it just a really good time to make a boatload of money, or is something really happening with? Streaming and with gambling that is forcing a lot of a lot of these ownerships just to get out right now because they feel like maybe there's a big shift coming with where sports is going.
0: I think rich people don't like unknowns and yeah. you have an opportunity to cash in right now and you don't know where the finances are going, you could guess just because we've seen this tree grow to the sky in terms of sports valuations, but yeah, I guess if you're looking at what your what your franchise is valued at and and not really knowing how streaming and Uh, all of that non-terrestrial stuff is going to impact your business. That would be a good time to get out. When you talk about anything that's being sold in the billions, I have a hard time saying it's not
1: financially (laughs) true. You've made a terrible decision. No. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, let's wrap with our quick hits for today. Brock Purdy was going to be one of the two starting quarterbacks in Super Bowl 58. Uh, We'll certainly talk more about the Super Bowl and the two teams involved on next week's episode. His salary his annual salary just south of a million dollars per year. I'm wondering if you know this off the top of your head, maybe you've already done the research on it. When's the last time we had a quarterback start in the Super Bowl that was making less than a million dollars per season?
1: Well, I can tell you right now that Nick Foles had exactly $1 million salary. Okay, in so then he wouldn't count. He wouldn't count. He. If, here's the crazy thing. I, 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 just, I tried to do a little bit of research here, um, and, and I landed at Foles and, and got down a rabbit hole because of how fascinating this was. Nick Foles played three games for the Chiefs in 2016. I, I would imagine filling in for... it Was that Alex Smith? I, I didn't even do that research. Filling in had for somebody for, for three games, right? He had a 105 quarterback rating in those three games, and he started one of those games. So I don't remember, but he must have looked phenomenal. I'm sure he was the talk of ESPN morning shows, etc., but he must have looked phenomenal. Do you know that the Eagles signed him to, for two years and $11 million? That next March, so he must have looked outstanding, right? And, and they knew exactly what they were getting themselves into. I did not realize he was on that contract prior to this big Super Bowl run, um, because that's a. This is what I've been calling for all year with you, right? Is these backup quarterbacks should be making better money, not only because they have the chance to play some games, but because they they have they have shown they can be starting quarterbacks, right? Gardner Minshew should be the next version of this and i realize he kind of was for indianapolis but now even more so having played basically a whole season and and damn near winning a division with that roster so he was already on good money he made 1 million dollar salary his first year and that was obviously the super bowl run so you know outside of that it's it's got to be rookie contracts it's got to be the the russell wilson's of the world way back when uh maybe dak but dak didn't get to the super bowl we, it's very rare that rookie contracts get anywhere near this kind of level of play. So to have Mr. Irrelevant uh, on the paycheck that he's been getting is going to be something. And by the way, there's there's something called performance-based bonuses that are handed out every year to rookie contract players. Brock Purdy may break the record for (laughs) for the bonus he's going to make this offseason from the league. Uh, I've got it estimated at about $900,000. He might make a million dollars from this performance-based system based on what he has done in San Francisco this past season.
0: Good for him. And I would think you get to the Super Bowl, the endorsements should start to roll in as well. So let's see Brock Birdie on some commercials. Remember back to the start of the year, Chris Jones, defensive lineman for the Chiefs, <laughs> held out for the entirety of the preseason. We were thinking, man, this guy might not even play this year. He's going to take that hard line stance, um, something that you and I uh, certainly talked about here. He sat out the first regular season game. So, you know, he went about this in a, uh, of a very real way. You wound up signing a one-year deal worth 19 million dollars. And now look at where they are. You know, Chris yeah. Jones was right. You needed me to get here. The defense has been great. He's a big part of it. With hindsight
1: being 2020, should he have held out for more? No. Nope. And and here's the best part, and I love this guy. I love this guy dancing on the sideline when he made that million dollar bonus. Everything about this guy is the best. He's he has stepped in front of a microphone and said that was a disaster. My bad. <laughs> right? he, he admitted out loud. Nope. That whole didn't work at all. He ended up making 22 and a half million this year because of the bonuses that he made back. So, uh, you know, a little better than where things started from not better than where he should be. You know, this is a $30 million player. I, I won't get off that. He's not a $30 million player with the chiefs. He's just not, the chiefs aren't going to do that. We've seen it time and time again now in the Mahomes era that if you are not a position of prime, and this guy may be the best defensive tackle, not named Aaron Donald of our generation. They're just not going to go top of the market. You know, Tyron Mathen couldn't get it. Tyreek Hill couldn't get it. Chris Jones is not going to get it. So it's either this guy is the preeminent free agent on the open market. And I think he might be because the franchise tag really isn't going to work for Casey either this year. Or he comes under 30 million. And whether that's 25, whether that's 27, two years guaranteed, three years guaranteed. Uh, the fact that he may not be on this chief's roster next year is something to talk about. It really is because if he hits the open market, March 11th, the negotiation period, the bears, the lions, right? The bucks, the the teams that are on the fringe here are going to be all in on this guy because he literally changes games, single games, not just seasons. Absolutely. I mean, look at what he has meant to the Chiefs back to back Super Bowl appearances. And I was just
0: combing through that 2016 roster that uh, you were talking about. Alex Smith was the quarterback yeah. and uh, Kelsey was on that team. Chris Jones was on that team. So a lot of usual suspects. This has been a, a consistent roster for the Chiefs and Chris Jones has been a part of that, but still, it's only 29 years old right yeah. now. So he's still got years left. Let's wrap with a baseball topic that uh, I know, you know, we're getting closer to mm. the start of spring training. So Uh, getting excited about that. The Padres aren't done spending money Four years, $16 million for Wandy Peralta, formerly of the Yankees. Do you like the signing?
1: Yeah, I thought the Mets had this one locked up, honestly. So it's a little bit of a salty situation for me, but good on them. Uh, sounds like it's three opt-outs. So it's one of those kind of football contracts where it sounds like four years, but it might only be one at the end of the day. The Padres have done this with a lot of players. Every one of them's opted out. (laughs) So so it feels like this is going to be a one-year deal. And by the way, it's probably what they're hoping for anyway, because this was about shedding some salary this year in San Diego. They were the third highest tax team last year in 2023. As of right now, they project to be ninth in Major League Baseball. So they've done their job. They're starting to build back some of the roster a little bit. But um, my guess is getting rid of some salary. Certainly Juan Soto was a big part of that. It was the plan. We'll see if they can stay relevant, though, because Arizona and the Dodgers have absolutely loaded up this offseason to make themselves even better. Uh, so maybe the Tiders are a thing of the past. That's probably where things are headed. I was
0: going to ask, is that, are, do you think that they're aware that that is what this season is, that it's a, yeah. a rebuilding type of year? Because we know the Giants are always a stone's throw away from being relevant. The Dodgers and the Diamondbacks are loaded, so how have about them, the- I would have them ahead of the Rockies.
1: It feels like the Red Sox have been doing this for three years, right? And and now the Red Sox are... Because the ownership there is involved in Liverpool, who's got a coach that's retiring, an expensive coach. And now they just invested in the PGA Tour, right? So I, I feel like you just have to understand where things are coming from, where from the top down, uh, the, the Boston Red Sox know what the AL East looks like. They know what Baltimore is. They know what the Yankees probably should be. And they now see what Toronto can be as well. And they're thinking to themselves, why would we even spend money on this team? <laughs> because yeah. we are clearly the fourth team in this division. And by the way, I forgot Tampa Bay, who, you know, maybe taking a step back finally after all these years of overachieving on their payroll. So, yeah, the Padres and the Red Sox could be the same kind of operation right now where they just look around and, and say, We'd be, it'd be bleeding money to try to go big right now when everybody else around us are absolute giants.
0: That's a wrap for us. A reminder to those out there looking for podcast help or commercial production. I can be your guy, authenticaudiopro.com for more details. Mike, always a pleasure. Hit that follow button. Rate, review, subscribe to the Spot Track Podcast, and make sure you head to spottrack.com for all of the latest in the sports contractual world. Till next time.